morning again. It's been a good morning already. We've had a lot that we've been able to, to celebrate uh, this morning, and now uh, we have an opportunity just to, to, to share uh, a little bit of time in God's Word as we, as we have been sharing around the table. If you have a Bible this morning, let me ask you to go ahead and open up uh, your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We'll spend a little time, <clears throat> excuse me, in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and then uh, we'll also look at uh, another passage as well. Uh, today we are continuing this series and we're talking about what it means for us as, as men to lead strong. We're encouraging uh, our men to embrace that leadership role that God has uh, for us. And so if you haven't been here as a part of that series, I can recap things really quickly. The first week we spent some time talking about this kind of idea. If you want to build something that lasts, you need to build it upon the proper foundation. And Jesus says that that proper foundation is him. It's obedience to his word. It's uh, as the wise man does. Bill, he builds his house upon the rock, and that, that rock is the identity of, of Jesus Christ. Okay, So obedience to Christ is kind of bedrock to, to all of this. And then last week we spent our time looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and we talked about the blueprint that God has for us as husbands. We want to build something that lasts. We also need to build using the right blueprint. So we spent our time looking at Ephesians 5, and talking about God's call for us as husbands to participate in the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ by loving our wives in a way that makes them more holy, that makes them more Christ-like. And so now today, I'd like for us to, to center our, our thoughts here on this, this, uh, this biblical idea of imitation and modeling and following in the example of someone that we respect and look up to. I have a good friend who does a lot of woodworking. And he's really only been at it about 18 months or so. He hasn't been doing this uh, very long. Uh, but he's been able to make some really nice things for his family. At first, he set out to make a loft bed for his daughter. And so what he did is he found some plans that he thought would, would be you know, workable. And he looked at it and he thought, okay, I, I can do this. But he said what he really wanted, though. He was a little, a little hesitant to just, like, dive in and start building something that his daughter was going to climb up into and sleep in, certainly with it being a few feet up in the air. So he said, what I really was looking for is somebody who's done this before, someone who knows what they're talking about, and I can follow them kind of step by step. So he got online. That's what you would do today, right? So he searches online, and he finds this guy on YouTube named Steve Ramsey who has some videos showing people how to do this sort of thing. And so he, he watches the YouTube videos, and he's about ready to go and start cutting the boards. And then he sees that not only does Steve Ramsey have some YouTube videos, but he has this, like, online video course you can sign up for, okay? And so because my friend is a good father, you know, and he loves his daughter, he's like, okay, I'm not just going to trust the freebie YouTube videos. I'm going to subscribe to this video uh, course. And so he goes and he watches, and he see, that's where he gets all the details. Every cut, every nail that's driven, and he follows those plans. He, he follows the exact motions of Steve Ramsey to the point that he was able to build this loft bed for his daughter. This is the finished product. She's up there, and she's able to sleep in this bed. There is no way I would put a child of mine on something I built like that, okay? I just love my kids too much. Sorry, I'm not going to do that to you. But not only that, he, so he makes this beautiful bed, and his daughter is, you know, grinning from ear to ear. But now, because of that skill, he's kind of been following Steve Ramsey a little more. So he's able to make, he's able to make a bookcase. 
He's able to make these cutting boards. This be- I think the, the winner of all this, that, that beautiful American flag that he did, just by following in the example of someone who knows what they're doing. So modeling and imitation, those are really important because I think most of us learn best by following the example of someone who knows what they're doing. And that's certainly true when it comes to things like woodworking, right? Or some other skill you might name. But there's a spiritual analog here as well. And, and I think you can see this being demonstrated throughout the scriptures in just the sheer volume, the number of modeling relationships, mentoring relationships that you see in the pages of the scriptures. Here are just a few, and there are, there are a lot of places we could go with this, but throughout the scriptures, you see this kind of modeling and mentoring. So Moses and Joshua had this kind of relationship. Moses, in the, in the Old Testament, God uses Moses to liberate his people from Egyptian bondage. But as you read through that story, God decides that it is Joshua, it is his apprentice, who will actually lead the people into the promised land. And so you see here in a passage like Deuteronomy 34, it talks about Joshua, the son of Nun, has this spirit of wisdom about him that comes through the laying on of hands from Moses. But as you read through that text, there's also, you know, Joshua just learned from being around Moses, from imitating him, from following in his footsteps. Uh, Another place you see this is in 1 Samuel chapter 3. There's Samuel. He's the young priest, and he is, is given over by his parents at an early age, and he follows around. He's mentored by Eli, the older priest. And it says there, you know, that, that Samuel, as a young man, he, he watches, he learns, he sees what it means to be a priest by watching the ministry of Eli, the priest. Now, if you read through that story, you also know this, that Eli's sons, they're kind of rascals, <laughs> you know, they, they, they're, they're kind of like wicked men. And so uh, you could say Samuel also probably learned what not to do by seeing the example of those men as well. One of the classic cases in the Old Testament is Elisha and Elijah, Elijah the old prophet, Elisha the younger prophet. And so Elijah calls Elisha to follow him. And it says in 2 Kings 2, the men of Jericho say this of Elisha, the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of the mentor rests upon Elisha. Elijah modeled so well for Elisha that his very spirit, people say, is modeled in his disciple. And no one talks about this in the Bible more so than the Apostle Paul. No one talks about imitation more than Paul. In fact, in in every one of his writings in the New Testament, you can find uh, Paul talking about imitation or example or what it means to be a spiritual parent in the faith. You find Paul talking about that all over his writings because mentoring is key to Paul's understanding of discipleship. And that gets us into the text for this morning, and that's 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible there, we're going to read in just a minute 1 Corinthians chapter 4, okay? So you can go ahead and and, and be ready. We'll look at a passage of Scripture there in 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, You may know this, you may not, but the Corinthian church is really divided. I mean, you just read through this letter that Paul writes to them. They're really divided over all sorts of things. You get a feel for this as you read through. And so there are these factions that are forming throughout this this church so much so that paul says to them he calls them people of the flesh 
okay? Uh, he, he says to them that they are infants in Christ in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 1. Okay, so this, this factionalism, the, the, this discord, their lack of unity is actually keeping them from growing in Christ. Remember last week we said that Christ-likeness is the goal, okay? It's the goal of discipleship. It's the end game of, of salvation is to, to bear the mark and the image of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, look, you're infants in Christ. Because your lack of unity is keeping you from growing toward that goal that God has for you. And so what Paul does here in this little letter is he encourages them to remember the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of Jesus Christ as the antidote, as the cure to their division, okay? It's that model of self-denial in Jesus that's the key to overcoming this conflict in the church. Paul says. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, so with all that as kind of context, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 4. You can read along in your own Bibles. I have the, the scripture here on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians 4. This is the word of the Lord. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. That's the word of God. So Paul here, he says to the Corinthians, you're my spiritual children, okay? You have a lot of guides in Christ, but you don't have very many spiritual fathers. I'm your spiritual father. I shared the gospel with you. And so then he says, he urges them to, to imitate him. As your spiritual father, I'm asking you to imitate me, okay? Imitate me. What do you make of that statement? Paul is able to say to them, you know, hey, look, I, you and I, we have a special relationship. And so like, as your spiritual father as, as a source of spiritual wisdom i need to tell you like, hey, i want you to I want you to do what i do <laughs> what do you what do you make of that when you hear that i think for modern ears when we hear that it, it may come across um you know maybe maybe a little bit a little bit arrogant you know some people hear that and we think boy could you imagine coming up to somebody and saying hey imitate me right i just, you know i know you got some problems you got some things going on in, in your life and I, i'm telling you the key to, to overcoming those problems, if you just, you know, do, do what I do, you know? I mean, I'm living it out here for you right now. Like, I think that's how we hear what Paul says when he says, imitate me. So we kind of think, boy, who would ever, you know, say something like that? But I don't think we need to, we need to hear it as any kind of like arrogant tone. I don't think that's what Paul's doing. I really think he's, he's saying like, as, as a father in the faith, you know, I, I'm trying to live a certain way and, and I want you to follow in my footsteps and, and specifically he's saying i want you to to get over the this division okay so just like you know imitate me because i'm not trying to get caught up in all that division you know i'm, I'm, I'm not trying to you know to, to be offensive in my ministry people were offended by some things that paul said but he's like that's not my goal my goal here is to to be able to to share the good news with as many people as possible so that some might be saved that's that's the kind of thing you're going to hear out of paul so in that sense, he's saying, hey, imitate me. And because he can't be there in person, what Paul does is this. He sends Timothy as, as an emissary, as an ambassador, as, as someone who, 
who will represent Paul. Paul, Timothy here is, is sort of presented by Paul as the ultimate example of someone who is imitating his teacher, the one who's been pouring into him. Because Timothy also could, could claim Paul as a spiritual father figure, okay? So hold your finger there in 1 Corinthians. I want you to see what Paul has to say to, directly to Timothy and about Timothy in this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and 11. And before we dive in here, what Paul is saying here is kind of contrasting. He's been telling Timothy about some false teachers, some people that, you know, they're, they're, they're out here, they're doing this, and they're, they're selfish, they're interested in their own gain, you know, all this kind of stuff. So he, he kind of lays all that out in the first part of chapter 3, and then here he contrasts those individuals with Timothy. And so he says here in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11 to Timothy, he says, you, however not like those people, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, the things that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And he goes on from there, but Paul is reminding Timothy of his spiritual story. As a spiritual parent, Paul had shared that with Timothy before. So he, he says to him, you know, you've been shaped by this story that has been played out here. So he talks about you've been shaped by my teaching. You followed my teaching. Timothy spent many hours sitting at the feet of, of Paul, listening to his teaching, listening to him unpack the, the particulars of the gospel, okay? And how in the gospel, Jesus has reconciled both Jew and Gentile together into one man. But not just that, he also goes through and he says, hey, look, you've been there for some of my suffering. Timothy's from Lystra. You remember what happened to Paul in Lystra? I mean, they nearly killed the man. <laughs> and it's the second time he comes to town, he comes to Lystra, and that's when the, the disciples present Timothy as, hey, you know, this, this young man needs to follow you. But Paul is going like all the way back, perhaps, to the very beginning moments when he and Timothy first met, the earliest part of that story, and he's reminding Timothy of all of that. So Timothy had a bird's eye view to see all those imprisonments and all those beatings, all the things that the gospel cost Paul. And, and Paul is like leveraging all of that back now in this moment where he's saying, hey, Timothy, I need you to continue to imitate me because you've seen it all. You've heard it all. You are the prime example of what I'm all about in replicating faithfulness in the people that I've been teaching the gospel to. So that's why he sends Timothy to the Corinthians. Because he knows what's happened in Timothy, he hopes will happen kind of at a, at a meta level in the life of this church. And so then later on in 1 Corinthians, last passage of scripture that I want us to look at, then we'll work at kind of applying some of this. Okay, so back in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or chapter 10 and chapter 11, it's 1031 on into 11 verse 1. It's one of those really unfortunate chapter breaks uh, in your Bible. We'll have to take it up you know, somebody else later when we get to heaven, I guess. But here, there's like the same thought, kind of bleeds at the end of one chapter and on into uh, the second part. But Paul comes up, with, he comes back to this idea of imitation yet again when he says this to, to the Corinthians, okay? He says, so whether you eat or drink, talking about the issue that's really divisive in the church there, you know, food sacrifice to idols, that was a really divisive hot potato thing. So, so he says here, uh, so whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, we're doing it for the glory of God, okay? But then he says, give no offense, to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, okay, but that, uh, not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage 
of many that they may be saved. And then he says it again here, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Again, the specific issue here is division in the church. And so Paul says, look, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Hang with me here, okay? I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm focused on doing the greatest amount of good for the most people possible so that some will be saved. And then he says, so in this, like this, I want you to imitate my example as I imitate the example of Jesus. And that's really helpful. It's really helpful because Paul isn't simply interested in replicating himself. There are probably certain qualities that Paul sees in his own life that he's thinking, I don't want to pass those on (laughs) to the people that I'm I'm spending time with, that I'm coaching, that I'm mentoring, that I'm discipling, that I'm pouring myself into. He doesn't want to pass those things on. So he says, to the degree that I'm imitating Christ, I want you to imitate me. Again, what Paul wants is for these believers, every believer, to grow in Christ-likeness. So he's only interested in those believers imitating him in the areas where he's getting it right. So again, we see imitation and example and spiritual parentage. Those are hallmarks, not only of Paul's writing, but more importantly, hallmarks of his ministry. And I think in the church today, we need more of this kind of ministry. I think we need more of this kind of ministry of imitation and example and spiritual parentage i think we need more of the kinds of relationships that 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 paul and and timothy had i think we need the kind of relationship that that paul is desiring to see in the life of that corinthian church i think i think we need more of that especially for us as we think about older men and younger men in our churches years ago i read a, a, a quote that really resonated with me i have no idea who said it but i wrote it down and it's stuck with me for about 10 years I really believe it to be true. In order for a boy to become a man, he needs the credible example of another man. I really believe that's true. As I look back over my life, it's so easy for me uh, to see that I've had a lot of these kinds of credible examples to follow. I had a great dad. I know not everybody can say that, okay, but I can. I I had a, a really great dad. He was a man of really quiet integrity. I, I only remember a handful of times ever that he led anything publicly, like up front, like this, in our church, you know, which is kind of funny, given what I do for a living, you know, I think about that a lot, but, you know, he, he, it was like not his thing, he just didn't, you know, but, but he was so faithful, so faithful, he was a good man, he was faithful to us, he was faithful to my mother, to my sister, and to me, and more importantly, to the Lord, so I had a great, like, living example of that for 10 years in my father. I had two great, great, like wonderful, godly grandfathers. Uh, They were just such good, good men. My granddaddy Bybee was like the sweetest, kindest man I ever met. If you were to leave his house, you know, you're trying to say goodbye. Goodbyes lasted 45 minutes if you're trying to say goodbye to my granddad, you know. We love you, and, you know, be careful on the road, and, you know, be smart, and, you know, make good grades, and, hey, take some cornbread with you, and, hey, I said, we love you, give me another hug. You know, he's just like the sweetest man, and I loved listening to him pray because he would take that sweetness and that sincerity, and he'd word those prayers before the Lord. It was just really, really powerful. He's such a good man, you know? And so if my granddaddy Bible was like this sweet, kind kind of man, you know, like I, 
God gave me two, two grandfathers, and they had, like, totally different dispositions because my granddaddy Armstrong, my mom, that, that was not his thing at all. I know he loved me, but I don't think he ever said, I don't know if he ever told anybody. He loved, I mean, he was just, that was not his deal. He was really quiet. He was a, a tobacco farmer in, in Tennessee, and he had these rough, callous hands that kind of matched his rough, sort of callous personality. I remember, I remember going to church once uh, with, with my grandparents, and so we were riding with, with my granddad, and uh, you know, I've got my Bible in my lap, you know, it was a Bible that they, they gave us when we, when we entered into youth group at church. And uh, my granddad, you need to know Granddad Armstrong, he was a strict KJV-only Bible guy. That was his thing. There's no other, like, that's the Bible you read, okay? So he sees I've got a Bible in my life. He said, what version of the Bible is that? And so I told him. He's like, where'd you get it? Well, I got it at church. You know, like, where, where, where else would you get it, you know? I bought it off the street from a drug dealer. Like, what do you think, you know? <laughs> got it at church, Granddad. And, and uh, he, he said, that, he, he said, well... If the King James, he really said, if the King James Bible was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was good enough for me. <laughs> what? And, you know, I, I was always a little argumentative as a kid. Uh, maybe that's why I'm a preacher. And so I, I said, you know, Granddaddy, the uh, King James Bible was written like, you know, 1,500 years after the Apostle Paul lived, you know. And I thought I had him. He, he kind of looked at me, you know what he said? He looked at me, he goes, don't back talk me, boy. <laughs> All right. Well, good enough for the Apostle Paul. It's good enough for you. Well, so I had these two examples of my, grandpa- my grandfathers. And they, you know, they, were, they were night and day, like, totally different. But so like godly and loving and faithful. And as some of those men passed away, I had other men God just brought into my my life to be these living examples for me and, and you know so, some of them I could call their names and some of them you would know and some of them you wouldn't but each of them played a part for me in, in, in helping me to see what it meant to be a godly husband and, and father and someone who follows the example of, of Jesus you know so Richard Beard Johnny Markham and Gary Bradley and Charles Seibert and Lee Milam Randy Harris, and Lynn Tipson, and Calvin Krim, and Alan Shape, and Earl Lavender, and Joe Esner, and the elders of this church, and a hundred other men I could sit here and, and name, but I won't for fear that, you know, I'm going to leave somebody out. I look back over all of those examples, all those men, they were models, you know, they mentored me, they coached me, they, they loved me, they said tough things to me when I needed to, to hear it, and I had so many godly role models to imitate, and I still do. But I, I know not every man in this church can say that. So I want to close here. I want to talk to the older men of our church first. I really think the burden falls to our, our older men to follow Paul's example, to find a, a younger brother to encourage and to pour into. Like, look, I know you're not going to walk up to a younger guy in this church today and say, hey, imitate me. I know that, okay? That's weird. <laughs> Don't do that, please, okay? Uh, I, know, I know you're not going to do that, okay? Um, but here's something I think you really need to hear. <clears throat> You have more to offer 
than you probably realize. You know? You have stories that need to be shared and passed on to the younger men of faith. You have, you have wisdom that you just you don't have when you're young. You know, and, and you, you have these life stories. You, you have stories to tell of what it was like for you when you were young. And you didn't know where this next paycheck was going to come from, how you're going to have the money to pay that one bill, but the Lord provided. You know, you have stories to tell, and our younger men really need to hear that. They would benefit from hearing your spiritual story. So think back to what Paul says to Timothy. You know my way of life. And so I would ask you, who are you sharing your way of life with? Is there a younger brother that you are mentoring, that you are encouraging? Can, can you name a younger brother in Christ that you're just investing yourself into, that you're coming alongside and praying with? This is a large church, you know, such newsflash. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people here, okay? And so in a, in a large church, there's a tendency to think, when you hear something like this, we, we think, I think it sometimes, you probably think, we tend, have a tendency to think, well, somebody else will do that. Right? You ever thought that? I mean, like we hear something, like, yeah, it's good, it's a great idea. That's probably somebody else that's going to do it, somebody else is more qualified, somebody else will do that. I think that, and you think that, anyway, but, so, but what, if, if we all end up thinking that, guess what happens? Nothing happens, <laughs> because, because nobody steps up and says, okay, I, I think I, I could do that. So, so again, my challenge for you is this, what can you do to decide, older men, what can you do to encourage, disciple, pray with, pray for the younger generation? It's easy. So I'm talking to the older generation, okay? Younger generation, put your fingers in your ears if you need to here, okay? But, but it's, it's easy to be critical of the younger generation. That's low-hanging fruit. If you want to be critical, you will find plenty of things to criticize younger generations for, okay? You don't like the way they dress, you don't like the music they listen to, they're, you know, running around town. I mean, there's a lot of things you could, you could say. You want to, like, find something to be critical of. And I'll just we'll go ahead and say it while we're talking here, you know? The older we get, the easier it is to find things to be critical about, right? I mean, that's just human nature. So we can acknowledge that, all right? But here's the thing. Rather than being critical, rather than like pointing out, you know, the 95 theses of all the things wrong with the millennials today or whatever, what if we come alongside them and encourage them and go to lunch with someone younger in the faith and, and get to know him and find out what it's like for him to raise a family or to be a young professional in 2018 with all the challenges that are part of that and you come alongside him and you make it your, your mission to encourage him and do whatever you, I think you're going to find that you have a lot more in common with him than you realize so for me a victory victory would be this week I'm just picking a number out of thin air okay Abraham talking to God. You know, like, if 20 men, 20 older men in this church called up here and said, okay, okay I'm in. You know, give me the name, give me the number of some young guy, and I'll call him up. And, and we'll, go to, we'll go to breakfast, we'll go to lunch. Like, okay, I, that would be a win, <laughs> you know? And I know some of you jump to, like, okay, so what, what are we supposed to talk about, you know? 
And some of you are thinking that, like, well, I could do that. What, what am I supposed to say? What are we supposed to talk about? Here, I'll tell you, I have no idea, okay? <laughs> I have no idea. What to, you know, like, I could I'd give you a script, but then it would feel really, like, even more weird, right? I would hope at some point you would talk about your family. Maybe talk about work. Talk about the Lord. How you came to know the Lord. I don't know. But I do know Paul was a spiritual father figure to Timothy and to the Corinthians. Maybe for you the mental model would be not spiritual father, but a, an older brother in the faith. Could you do that? I could do that. Right? Pray about that if you would. I want to say something to our younger men, too, here real quick. Uh, if you have children at home, many of you do, so if you have children at home, uh, I would say that needs to be your focus. That needs to be your thing. Uh, outside of you, your relationship with your wife, which we talked about last week, and God's call for you to participate in that sanctifying work, okay, like that's number one. But then beyond that, like your, your children need to be uh, the ones that you're, you're like pouring into and helping them grow in Christ-likeness or helping them come to know the Lord. So, so men, I, younger fathers especially, I'd hope you would, you would hear that. But, but here's my question for you as you're doing all that. Who is discipling you? And who is encouraging you? Who is mentoring you? Who is pouring themselves into you? Do you have a spiritual role model that you're spending time with? Do you have someone older than you that you're, you're talking with and that you're, you're praying with? Uh, do you have a spiritual figure in mind that you're, you're trying to, to imitate in your spiritual life? And if not, I would ask you to be praying about that. Be praying that God would, would open your eyes to someone in your life who could be that voice of wisdom. We don't suffer for information in this culture. You have a, probably a device in your pocket or nearby you that you, you can have access to Google right now. Like, you can fact check the verses I'm putting on the screen in real time. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, you don't suffer for information if you're tech savvy at all today. What we need is not more information oftentimes, it's wisdom. The younger we are, we have more access to all this information, but we have no clue how to apply it. I mean, I just, it, and that's where, in the body of Christ, in God's foresight, he gives us not only the youthful energy of our youngest generations, but the lived-in wisdom of those who've gone before us. So younger guys, will you have somebody who's a voice of, of wisdom for you? If not, would you be pray, praying about it? Look, I just want you to see this real quickly, and then I know I told you we were done with looking at scriptures, but I lied to you, so I'll repent of that. We've got a, the biblical voice of wisdom. It's always like a father talking to a son. Ladies, you could translate that, you know, mom talking to a child as well. But just look, Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandment, because if you want to live long, you listen to what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. The next chapter, Proverbs 4, hear, O son, the father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight proverbs 5 my son be attentive to my wisdom incline your ear to my understanding and just that's just that's just a sampler platter of what's in proverbs okay the point is do you have a voice of wisdom that you're listening to if not you need one and so again for me a victory we're talking to our younger men a victory would be 20 of you who, who email us this week who text message, who reach out, who just say, okay, I'm, I mean, I'm in. I don't have, you're talking about your dad, Jason, you're talking about your granddad, you're talking about all these people. Like, I, I, I can't name anybody. Unfortunately, for some of our younger guys, I know that's, that's where you are, okay? So if, if 20 just stepped up and said, okay, um, 
I'm in. I need a voice of wisdom in my life. That, that would be a victory. Let's follow the example. Let's imitate the relationship between Paul and Timothy, between the older and the younger. That's part of God's call for us. The leadership he wants us to embody. The invitation of Christ today is extended to any who need to respond in faith this morning for prayer, for baptism, and for encouragement. This word is given in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together and let's sing.